Welcome to Not True But Useful, a podcast from Cheek by Jowl. I'm your host, Lucy Dawkins, and over the course of these series, I've been chatting to artistic directors Declan Donnellan and Nick Ormerod about what they've learned about life and theatre in four decades of making plays all over the world. You're listening to one of our special extra bonus episodes to tide us through the cold winter months. And in this episode, I sat down to talk to Declan about the element of surprise. So I'd love to talk a bit today about a difference that you like to make watching actors on stage. You call it a difference between heightened behaviour and acting. What do you mean by that? I can describe it, but I I can't really explain it. And it's something you have to watch and watch, and then there's a penny drop moment when you think, oh God, they're not really acting, that's just heightened behaviour. You see it sometimes on stage, and you see it more often on film, and particularly on television when they're, um, they're having to film too fast where you're looking at the actor and it seems incredibly realistic what they're doing. They seem to be, they look fantastic, they're reacting, everything's nuanced, but they're kind of cut off from the outside world in a funny way. And they're, they're behaving as if, they're behaving as if, which is different from acting as if. All of theatre is about a big as if. But there's something different between acting because you're in an actual connection, you're in an actual encounter with the outside world, and building something to give the impression of something. So you realise that you're actually not watching somebody acting, you're watching a simulacrum of what it is to be a person. And it's a very disturbing moment, and it's more easy to fall into um, in filming and on television because the actors have to keep themselves going between shots and they have to keep themselves going between the, all the different takes. And so often they can become... I mean, the old-fashioned English expression really was internalised. It's when you know what you're, you know what you're doing. That's quite a good example. <laughs> you're probably going to be doing heightened behaviour because you've removed surprise from the thing and you've actually removed being surprised by what's happening in the outside world. And then, of course, people can sort of act surprised and they can kind of commoditize surprise and say, this is when I'm the moment when I'm surprised. But acting is more human and more mysterious than that. It's about being open to a surprise and it's incredibly difficult to rely on it. The, the, the thing is to allow yourself to be surprised, which is really hard to give yourself permission for that, even if you know what's going to happen. And so, in other words, would you say heightened behaviour is about creating a portrait of what looked like realistic human behaviours heightened dramatically, but in a way that looks very convincing, but actually cuts you off from being able to react to the world around you, and that that's the foundation of of any kind of drama, actually. Yeah, you're not really open to the vagaries of the outside world. And then the great conundrum of acting, the great huge mystery at the heart of it, is how how can you be surprised when you're not surprised? And yeah, that's, that act has to struggle with that all the time. But I'm afraid the solution really isn't to, I don't think, um, is to sort out exactly what I'm doing, know exactly what I'm doing, work it out scientifically. It can't be that. There must always be the bit that's the improvisation in the moment. There must always be some moment of cadenza, some moment when you can be genuinely surprised. Different types of different ways of doing this. Um, and, and of course, it's a mystery to me. I mean, I don't know. I can't possibly say to an actor how they might do that. But it is the capacity to actually be surprised, as opposed to manufactured industrial surprise. It's very difficult to talk about. It's just really important to kind of watch. And there's a sort of many penny drop moment of thinking, it looks like it, but it isn't actually it. So in other words, is it something like that the actor isn't allowing the character to be in a position of true instability? 
of coping with the present moment, constantly trying to deal, constantly reacting, constantly bouncing off the ever-changing world around them. And has instead basically created a fossil of a performance, you know, a thing they cooked up earlier and is now... Yes, I mean, you know, actors have a hard job. You know, it's extremely difficult. It's extremely difficult to write well. But the real problem is that I think no one really wants to hear is that if you fully know what you're doing, you are cut off. That's a problem. You know? So, but it's very uncomfortable and, and it's very disagreeable not to not know what you're doing. But you have to find a kind of balance and you have to make a space to be connected to the outside world. And it's something I've actually heard from cheek by jowl actors who've mm-hmm. told me that you on tours mm. will come in and give a note before the last night of a of a performance after a month's or even years long tour. A note that might be something as small as walk around the other side of the table this time. And presumably, I'm guessing, that's in order to make sure that they are constantly finding their bodies in a state of surprise. Yes, I I mean, I don't think I like to trick the actors. I don't think I I ever change things for the sake of changing them, to trick them into being alive. But I don't know, I I try to be open and alert and present with the actors on stage and think, oh God, if they move that way, maybe they could, maybe that might release something. So I don't really get actors to do things because of an effect you think that might release them into having a more alive reaction to that. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. So this is a really um, lovely way of thinking about notes, I think, because often we think of giving notes in a rehearsal as a way of perfecting a performance. But you seem to think of notes as a way of reopening channels to life and surprise, rather than aiming the actor towards creating an end product that you want to see on stage. Does that sound about right? Yes, that's true. On this point, I, I once had a somewhat unhappy experience working in a, uh, a theatre, not in this country. And um, I phoned up my assistant to say, how did the show go tonight? And he said, how do you mean, how did the show go? And I said, well, how did it go? And he said, they are still obeying your instructions, if that's what you mean. I thought, no, no, that really isn't what I meant at all. <laughs> that moment really troubled me. Um, but I think all actors understand the question, how did the show go? I was making a movie, and I'd say somewhat, um, I realised now, sort of naively, the crew, I said, well, we had a good day, I think, didn't we? And sometimes they'd look back and say, blankly, well, yes, but did you get what you wanted? I'd say, uh, yeah, I think so, yeah, thanks. Um, and it's this kind of different world, really, of... Um, having a, a sort of a rather closed idea of what you want. And this is an interesting point because you've worked in both theatre and as a film director with, yeah. with Bellamy. And you talked earlier about how this kind of heightened behaviour pattern tends to happen much more in film and TV because actors are having to tie themselves over between shots, but sometimes they're, they're acting to nobody straight into a camera or in a weirdly cut-up environment. How do you help actors when you're filming to help with this unstable position of surprise rather than pre-cooked heightened behaviour? Well, all the actors I worked with on Bella and me were really up for playing the scene live and they were always there for each other's close-ups and so on. So there was none of that nonsense, You sometimes horror nonsense you hear sometimes of people saying, you know, he doesn't need me there to play the scene with me. And actually, I, I loved the making of that. It was a wonderful thing. How does one help the actors? I don't know. I was, I'm still learning how to, how to do that. What I'm saying is that the heightened behaviour problem isn't just to do with films and TV. It's sort of always there. And it's to do with the reassurance of being realistic and the reassurance of knowing what you're doing. 
and we can't fully know what we're doing. Actors can work however they like. I don't mind, in a way, what their processes are. That's absolutely fine. Um, but they do have to be able to play with each other and with the audience. They have to be able to play live and in the moment. And that's when I'd step in. What I'd say is that it, you need to see if you can empty your head enough so that you can be permanently plugged into that world that you describe. But you will find you wander away from it. Then you need to notice it, and then you need to plug yourself in again. The important thing is not to beat yourself up, but to just um, see if you can put aside certain thoughts that's going to enable you to actually connect in that world of danger outside. It's nearly always to do with a letting go rather than an adding something. It's a taking something away that matters. And, you know, that, that sort of masochism that you can see sometimes in people saying, oh, I was terrible tonight, I was terrible tonight. Try not to think that and just try and pick yourself up and start again tomorrow and just try not to let those thoughts come in i i'm talking about this because i think it's quite interesting because i do like watching television and i often like watching things and afterwards sometimes i get disappointed because something that looked marvelous after a while you realize yeah but it's all it's all pre-cooked the thing about heightened behavior is it's dependent on being realistic for its effects um, because you're always comparing you know this looks almost like um you know, human being. It's a little bit to change the subject. It's like artificial intelligence, you know, that can do everything that we do analytically and logically much better than we can. Um, and then people say, oh, but there are other functions. And people will say, um, you know, like like sort of mercy, forgiveness. And so on. people say, no, no, it can do that as well. And we say, well, actually, <laughs> it, it can ape us when we do things like that. But it can't ever fully take over those functions. In a way, heightened behavior is slightly like that, that you're reproducing something that looks realistic. So very often, I notice heightened behavior in an actor when normally it looks marvelous, and there's a lot of intelligence, and there's a lot of thinking about things, and there's a lot of complexity. But very often you notice that the character doesn't seem to need anything from outside. And if, they, if, the, <laughs> if you don't really need anything, it's, um, it's kind of quite difficult to get involved with the predicament of somebody that they don't really need anything. Um, when you think in terms of acting, in terms of heightened behavior, the realism doesn't really matter that much. And being handcuffed to being realistic, I think, is really, really sad. It very much limits what you can do. I'm also really struck by what you started with, which is that you can't really define the difference between heightened behavior and acting. Mm -hmm. That it's a bit of a gray area. Mm -hmm. And you just suddenly feel it when the penny drops. Mm -hmm which is a great reminder about the fact that all of these creative processes are not paint by numbers. You can't suddenly say, ah, this is the moment that it's become heightened behavior. But it is about tuning your attention and listening to your gut, I guess, in rehearsal rooms. Yes, it's exactly about that. I mean, one of the saddest things like doing theatre or teaching theatre or, or, or what have you is that just because you understand something doesn't mean you can do it. And that's really painful when somebody sort of brilliant completely understands it and can't do it. And it's completely maddening. <laughs> the opposite. When somebody's just so naturally talented, they do it. And there isn't a thought in their heads. And you think, oh my God. Then the danger is that part of somebody might think, well, you know, she, you know, she hasn't, she hasn't warmed up. She hasn't had the play. You know, that's the way to do it. And you think, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> don't ape that. And that's also a great reminder that sometimes the most deadening thing that you can do is try and build a strict process around trying to make this thing happen, right? That if you, um, again, try and paint by numbers, set up a series of rules that's going to make this work, and then talk about it too much in rehearsal, that's also pretty deadening as well. Yeah. I mean, I always feel a bit sick when people say to me, 
you know, of an emerging theatre directors, what, what exercises do you think I should use for? And it always makes me feel a bit panicky, thinking, well, you have to invent your own exercises, because people sometimes think the exercise is the magic thing, and actually it isn't. You've really got to know what you're trying to get, you know? So there are things that I do, and they change from time to time, and, but they're, they're only routes to help the actor, really, to to open up to the world of surprise that they have to be able to access somehow. And what seems to be the thing that you're looking for consistently is something about this realm of surprise, of reaction, of letting the character be unstable, of letting the actor be secure enough in what they're doing to allow the next moment to become unpredictable. And that's quite a challenge to achieve because it involves letting go of all your comfort blankets, essentially, right? It's a really vulnerable position to put the character in but actually it's thrilling to watch i hope so i mean i'm very grateful to all the actors i've 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 worked with for exactly that and that's what we labor to to me it always is that the the actor has to allow themselves to be minimized by the predicament they have to let the predicament tower over them and they have to feel small in the face of the predicament and by predicament i mean the dangerous problem that the space presents to them that they have to deal with if you think of the um you know old cave paintings you often see the hunt hunter with a spear facing up to some big, I don't know, mammoth or whatever, some huge beast that they're trying to slay. And that basically is the, the basis of theatre, really. It's um, standing up to the predicament, to the danger that's outside. If there's no threat, there's no play, there's no, there's no drama. One of the problems in rehearsal, or one of the problems trying to do these plays, when you're always talking about somebody who's in a very dangerous position, even if it's a, a love play, a romantic play, a, a comedy, there needs to be the pain, there needs to be the menace, there needs to be a threat outside, otherwise it's, it's not going to be funny. So why do we find it so hard? Why do we find it so hard? That's sort of interesting. I remember a story I, I know about an actress who was on a film set and she was having to be dead and was lying down on the floor. And her little son ran up and said, Mommy, stand up, stand up. And then she said, no, you have to leave me alone, I'm acting. I think that happens inside us, that we've all got the little boy saying, stand up, stand up, that we've all got this the, the bit inside us that's going to protect us. We've We've got that in our heads, I think, in the very primitive part of our heads, somewhere in the very um, basic self-preserving system that it doesn't actually want us to be in a dangerous situation. And it does so by reflex, and it short-circuits the, the, the part of the brain that's to do with our will. So we can demonstrate this to ourselves, because you, you cannot commit suicide by holding your breath. You can't, because a part of the brain's going to take over and say, no, I'm sorry, I'm not letting you do this dangerous thing. I sometimes think that that operates in the heart of all of us, that we are very, very programmed to avoid danger. That part of our brain is very important. That's why we're here. <laughs> and to avoid danger without really thinking about it, so the fight-flight gets activated before we have a, a reason to, to think, I must fight, I must flee. And I increasingly think that um, those of us who, for example, are involved in theatre, but the actors and the directors as well, is that although we are willing to embrace the danger in our wills, that actually we tend to blunt it because it's dangerous and parts of our brain are taking over to protect us. And we're like the mother on the floor shouting at the little boy saying, go away, I'm acting, go away, I'm only acting. And that primitive part of the brain says, I don't care, I'm looking after you. There are primitive processes that will, will swoop in to protect us and override our wills. So the actor wants in their will to act well 
I don't know, Macbeth and Lady Macbeth being really frightened that they will be overheard planning Duncan's death with the whole government having dinner next door. Um, and their will wants them to submit to that you know, frightening situation. But a primitive part of the brain runs up to them and says, no, 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 we're, we're going to avoid this danger. And I just continue saying, no, 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 I, I want, it's all right, this is a safe space and I'm, I'm doing something dangerous, but it's not really going to hurt me. And I think a part of our brain just doesn't, a, a powerful but primitive part of our brain just doesn't, I, I don't care what you want to do, I'm looking after you. And I sometimes think that that's why, one of the things that makes our job so hard, that you need to turn that off. But that says I'm not going to be turned off because I'm going to protect you always, forever and ever and ever. The, the, the job in rehearsal is that the actor must feel safe so that the character may be in danger. The job of rehearsal is not to make the actor safe so that the character's safe too. That's, that's kind of like the end of the world as far as I'm concerned. But there are, there are all sorts of forces trying to keep us safe. Human beings hate being out of control and we hate being powerless. Um, and there are very few um, bits of control we have and very, very little power that we have. Uh, but we all hate it. And um, well, when we go to art, I think, we, we go to, in a way, to touch base with that basic thing that we share, that we are out of control, we are powerless, and we don't like it. Thank you for listening to this bonus episode of Not True But Useful. The music you're hearing was composed by Sergei Chekrashov for Cheek by Jell's production of Three Sisters. Stay tuned in for more bonus episodes to come. And until then, stay well. <laughs>